hundreds of thousands hold their breath on Merseyside. It's Xabi Alonso for three, three is saved, and Alonso follows it in! It's wonderful! It's marvellous! It's three, three in the European Cup final! And this is the Red Agenda, your weekly podcast dedicated to Liverpool Football Club. I'm Steve Hothersall, joined as always by our top writers, James Pearce and Simon Hughes. Now, we're going to start off by looking at uh, the situation involving Timo Werner. Of course, very strong links with Liverpool. The player himself has said he'd like to come to Anfield. Is it just a matter of RB Leipzig and Liverpool hammering out a fee? Or is this something that might go on for quite a while, given the uh, the financial state of football at the moment? Now, of course, he was playing for RB Leipzig against Freiburg at the weekend. So we got a taste of the Bundesliga and a look at a player that might sign. For Liverpool, so let's check in with James and Simon. Um, morning, Simon. First of all, hello, Stephen. Yeah, did you did you catch a bit of Bundesliga action? I did. Yeah, yeah. I watched the uh, I watched the, the Dortmund game against Schalke. Um, it, you know, like everybody else, uh, I guess it, there was a, it was a bit surreal, I suppose. But you know, the, the football remained quite entertaining. I thought you know it was still a high standard. I don't think Dortmund looked ring rusty in any way, and. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can understand the sort of the reservations about playing football this time, but I guess we are where we are. I've said this a few times. Um, yeah, and I, 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 I've got to be honest, I, I did enjoy watching the match. Yeah, I, I suppose it gives us an idea, James, of what we're heading towards in terms of being Liverpool fans and what, what we should expect in, in watching the team play in an empty stadium. Yeah, I think, first of all, it was just brilliant having some live football back on our screens again, wasn't it? I think... Um, and I think it's good for the Premier League as well to be able to, you know, they can they can watch what happens with the Bundesliga over the coming weeks and 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 pick the best the best of it, you know, look at what probably doesn't work quite so well behind closed doors and um and 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 look to improve on certain things. So yeah, just great to have it back. I watched I watched most of uh, Leipzig, Freiburg, and. Um, yeah, you know, I, people. I know people will say, oh, you know, what's the point without fans and all the rest of it, but. You know, as 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 I think Jurgen Klopp was was quoted himself as saying over the weekend. You know, we we all love football long before um, we, we were watching games in packed stadiums. So um, yeah, just just great to have it back. Absolutely, um, great to see the forty back and a chance to see the likes of Timo Werner in action. Of course, the RB Leipzig attacker who's heavily linked with Liverpool. David Ornstein's written a good piece uh, on the Athletic about where the situation currently stands. So, Simon, what do we know about Werner at present? Well, David indicated in his piece, I thought the most interesting element of that was was that, that Klopp had had some sort of conversation and dialogue with him before the lockdown. So that clearly indicates that, that he's very interested in signing the player. Um, but, you know, the, the, the reality is at the moment, I mean, I don't think any clubs are thinking about how to, to sign players, particularly of, of that sort of amount of money. Um, I mean, there, there will be clubs, I suppose, who will try and, f- one or two might try and force uh, f- f- force the issue a little bit more, knowing that clubs are a bit nervous about the, the economic realities around them um, to the, some of the more adventurous clubs, I guess. But the message coming back so it's from Liverpool at the moment is that, that, that they're sort of taking stock of, of how this is going to impact on the the financial world that they that they operate in. Of course, you know, James, I hope I'm, well, I'm, I'm stealing James's little comments from before we started uh, talking, but, Jay, you know, James is right, I think, when he says that 
it's, it's quite it'd be quite interesting to see if, if this is sort of a, a bit of a tactic from Liverpool as well because if, if it seems to Leipzig that Liverpool are, are less interested it might drive down the fee a little bit more nobody really knows yet how how this is going to impact on player values and um, clearly Liverpool have, have tried to ne- negotiate around asking prices with Leipzig before for, for Naby Keita so we will see I mean as I said, I think that that, that um, the detail about Klopp having some correspondence with him, I think, was, was pretty telling, really, because you know he, he doesn't go out of his way for players he doesn't want. Yeah, that is quite significant. So it, Timo Werner's also indicated that he'd be more than happy to remain at RB Leipzig for another season, but still make Liverpool his main interest. James, is that the correct assessment? Yeah, it is. I think that speaks volumes, doesn't it, of where where Liverpool are at as a club. At the moment, you know, as as still the current champions of Europe, the, the club world champions and on the brink of winning the Premier League. I think Timo Werner has attracted interest from a whole host of clubs. I think, as as David Ornstein pointed out in, in the piece that was published at the weekend, you know, his his representatives have, have had contact with Barcelona, Chelsea, Manchester United. But his heart is set on that move to uh, to Anfield. And I think I think. The question is, does, does it happen this summer, or or do um, does he decide to stay put for twelve months? I, I I even wonder whether we might even see. You know, you go back to what happened with Naby Keita, which who of course was also an RB Leipzig player. So you know, there's decent relations between the two clubs, and of course with Keita, Liverpool thrashed out a deal, which meant they 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 effectively waited for twelve months for him, for him to arrive. And I I wonder whether that even might be something. That, um, that is discussed over over the coming weeks because you know what what we do know is that Timo Werner is, is absolutely desperate to to come to Liverpool. We know how much Klopp admires him. I think um, anyone who's watched Leipzig regularly will tell you that um, he's a very good fit for Liverpool stylistically. We also know that um, that Liverpool do need another elite attacker. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, Especially with with the fact that you know, as things stand at the moment, we've got the Africa Cup of Nations falling uh, midway through next season. So you know, the prospects are losing Salah and Mane for you know potentially five six weeks. So um, I, I think it's a difficult one to judge at the moment which way it will go because I completely understand when Liverpool, you know, the the word out of Liverpool being that you know how could we possibly commit to any major deals in this current climate with so much uncertainty, but. You know, I wonder whether there also comes a point where you know, can you almost afford not to sign him because because of being left short potentially at a crucial period next season. Well, what are the figures, Simon, that go around this? At what point do RB Leipzig become contractually obliged to actually say, yeah, yeah, you, you know, he can have the conversation and he can move to Anfield? Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, uh, there's there's a little bit of uncertainty really about um, there's obviously a point in 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 April when uh, he, he was worth a certain amount of money and Liverpool could have triggered um, triggered that clause at that point. But obviously that was right slap bang in the middle of, um, in the, well, at the beginning of, of lockdown and, and, you know, priorities shifting away from football. So I've got to be honest, I'm not, I'm not entirely up to date with exactly mm. what is going to, um, how that will pan out. Um, well, I think D- D- this- David's written a, a bit of 60 million euros would oblige... Leipzig to sell 
Right. It, it seems a fairly a fairly decent figure, doesn't it, for yeah. for a twenty four year old player with an with a huge reputation. I mean, gosh, figures have been blown out of, into massive proportion, haven't they? But um, that, that's the figure right now, which David Ornstein believes um, Leipzig would be obliged to sell at. You, yeah, I'd, I'd be I'd be amazed if Liverpool went went that high. I've, you know, I've got to be be honest, really. I mean. The, the concern from Liverpool from day one really has been: Does the player appreciate that that you know he'll be signing for Liverpool and he'll be, you know, expected over the, the next few years to become a you know one of the first choice players? But that won't happen straight away. So, mm. can Liverpool go and afford to spend that amount of money on a player who might have to play a bit of a waiting game before he gets his chance? You know, playing every single week. Um, I mean, I've thought about this a little bit and, you know, Jurgen Klopp is, is constantly trying to figure out ways to um, sort of evolve the team and make them less predictable. And, you know, I remember before Philip Coutinho left, he, he was obviously one of the the, the, the sort of the, the, the forward uh, or the attacking players anyway. You know, there's obviously people talking about this this sort of four, four-man front line of players who, who obviously, you know, sort of will excite the crowd. And I know Klopp at the time was very keen to, to sort of dismiss that development because he knew that, that Coutinho was going. But it, it, it does show that he's prepared to be a bit more adventurous sometimes with his selections as well. So... You know, who's to say that if he did sign him, he could sort of ch- tweak the the, formate, the formation and, and and play maybe a bit more of a you know uh, maybe even a bit more of a four four two or a slightly different shape next season because that football is like that. Every all teams are trying to figure out ways of of, um, of outfoxing the opponent. So I think at this time, I think ultimately if he were to sign him, it, it's going to he's going to it's going to be a little bit of bit of patience required from from him before he actually does start playing games on a regular basis so on on the account of that are Liverpool going to spend all that money you know uh, breaking records for a striker anyway um when it, you know he's not going to be like a Virgil van Dijk who comes in straight away or, or um or Alisson Beck who plays straight away so when you spend that spend that amount of money um, it becomes a bit of a, um, you know, it becomes it can become a bit of a problem because people are expecting things immediately. So there's all this to consider at the moment, and I think that that's why Klopp is sort of keen to evaluate the, the players' state of mind. Um, as we said, it was a few weeks, you know, a month, month or two ago now. So um, things sort of may have moved on a little bit since then. And also on the other side of the coin, that's why RB Leipzig might be looking at his value now and the value which he might hold next summer. Um, and we don't know how much they need those finances. And this is why it perhaps um, engineers a game of cat and mouse between the two teams, James. Yeah, 100%. I think, um, you know, Leipzig Leipzig will be looking at it. And I think also the structure of the deal as as the structure of his contract at Leipzig, as as David explained in in the article, is you know is that sixty million bid that obliges them to sell this summer, but it drops down to to forty million in in twenty twenty one. So um, yeah, they they will know that this summer is probably their best chance of getting the the best deal they can to to um, to sell Timo Werner. And I think Werner came out himself recently and said you know he had no interest in in going to Bayern and staying in the Bundesliga and um, of course he's talked numerous times about his admiration for Klopp and for and for Liverpool in general so I think I think you're right I wouldn't you know I, that that's why I, I don't think you know I, I don't think Liverpool are being disingenuous when they say you know come off it who in their right mind is going to be committing what 60 million euros is what 53 million pounds 
and you know nobody's going to be committing that kind of money at the moment when there's so much uncertainty. But I also don't think it's it's quite as clear cut as to say this 100% will not be happening this summer because I, I just think it depends what the deal is on the table. You know, what wh- where are Leipzig pre- prepared to drop down to? Where are Liverpool prepared to go? Uh, you know, where what how at what point are Liverpool prepared to go up to? And then even if it, yeah, like I said before, even even if it can't be done for this summer. Is there a way of you know of thrashing out a fee a little bit like the Cater one where Liverpool almost pay a premium mm. on top of what they would have had to pay uh, for him in in 2021? So um, yeah, I think it's a real you know it's it's a real difficult one to call at the moment. You know, of course, you know I, every day on social media you get people demanding updates and answers and is it a yes or a no? And I, I honestly don't even think. Jurgen Klopp probably knows himself whether it's a yes or a no at the moment in terms of whether that deal will happen this summer because you know there's just too much up in the air. We, we you know of course these plans are on course for Premier League football to return either you know was it probably June the 12th or potentially put back to June the 19th, um, but we still don't know exactly when that transfer window is going to open, when it's going to shut again, how long there's going to be between the seasons. Um, so you know in that current climate. You know, and then you know, people also say, but it's he's a bargain. Well, yeah, I I agree. Like if you go back two three months, I think for a player of his caliber, twenty four, Germany international, prolific goal scorer, he ticked all the boxes for me. And I think even at sixty million euros, I, I thought that that was very very sound business when you think of some of the crazy fees banded around. But suddenly, you know, you you fast forward a couple of months, and you know, currently. No, no club, and you know, not just Liverpool. No major club is going to be throwing that amount of cash around when, you know, all of their revenue streams have dried up. There's no question that Liverpool's current squad is in great shapes, but they've not made any significant outfield signings in in 2019 or into 2020. Obviously, T- Takumi Minamino is one that that's arrived. How much should, do you know? Do you think it's concerned, Simon, from? from the fan base on that front or even from the managerial perspective of it. It's quite a long period, isn't it? Without a club making a signing, if you are that club that is leading the biggest league in the world. Mm. I, I don't, I'll take on the manager first. I mean, he's always said that, you know, there's no, no point making signings just to, to satisfy the, the appetite of a, of a hungry crowd. I mean, I think a lot of sort of Liverpool supporters who obviously are on Twitter um, or oh, any supporters who on Twitter, you know, sort of seeing, you know, with that, with that thirst for, for for transfer information, you know, he 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 has made it clear since day one that he'll only make a sign and if he thinks he's worth it. And I remember um, throughout the course of well, can we call it last season? So 2018-19, you know, he, he spoke a lot, Jurgen Klopp, about this sort of admiration for how Pochettino would. Had sort of conducted things at Tottenham, and his hands were tied to some extent because of Tottenham's ground move, and they weren't able to go and sign big players. But he, uh, you know, he, he does see the value in keeping a squad together, and it, it, it's something that, in his managerial career, he hasn't really been able to do at any point until he's come to, come to Liverpool. So when he was at Mainz, his best players were always sort of being sold, and when he was at Dortmund, after sort of a 18-month, two-year cycle, you know, the best players would always go on to Bayern Munich or or Real Madrid or, or one or two other clubs, whereas at Liverpool, he's been able to keep that team together. And I think he he's really relished sort of keeping that that group together and, and, and sort of um, going on this journey that they've been on together. Now, 
obviously it does reach a point where you know the, the, the demands the demands of the season what what lies ahead for Liverpool potentially with the the, the uh, Africa uh, Cup of Nations um, next season potentially of course we don't know whether that's going to take place but that is that comes slap bang in the middle of a period of the season where Liverpool have probably struggled a little bit. It's been the one area where Jurgen Klopp hasn't quite mastered. I think that sort of January, mm. February time when there's lots of obviously domestic cup games and you know lots of league games as well. So I think he'd be very, very, very wary of going into that period without having Salah or Mane. Um, you know, he's obviously got other players like Takumi Minamino who will be a bit more experienced. Rian Brewster, you know, they've still got big high hopes for him as well. But I just think that to go one player, you could maybe, you could maybe manage it, but two players, two of your star players, it, it's going to be very hard. So that's where his, his interest in the player, I would imagine, sort of stems from. Bearing in mind also that sort of the Liverpool forward line, you know, that the, the sort of all 28, 29, 27, 28, 29, you know, he's got to start the next cycle soon, sooner rather than later. You don't want those three players all getting old at the same time. So um, so that's why he ticks a number of boxes, you know, in a, in a position where Liverpool might be light. In a, in a, he's, a, he's a player who wants to come. He's a player who uh, is the right age, you know, got the right amount of experience. He does, as James says, tick all the boxes. It's just a case of can they get the right deal in a, in a, in a moment where... Um, nobody's quite sure of, of how the financial world and landscape of every club is, is going to be because it's very difficult to plan when you don't even know whether a when exactly when this season's going to start. Although we believe it's going to be the 12th of, of June or the, the 19th of June, or even when next season starts as well. You know, if you're paying big wages for a player and you've got no uh, no income coming into the club, then it's going to be potentially a problem. So. If there could be some clarity on that, I, I I would be surprised if any any I've got to be honest. This is just me. Not this is a bit speculative for me, but I would be surprised if there was any sort of formal announcement before this season, as we understand it, gets finished. Wait and see how things are are going to pan out. Uh, Zach sends us a message on the Red Agenda inbox, and and he's questioned. Do you think Klopp is actually looking at someone else other than Timo Werner? Is it is there actually a a shortlist because it's the only name we seem to hear about? I think what Klopp has said previously, and I think this this point stands in this case, is Liverpool are operating at such a high level that it's actually quite a small pool of players that you can dip into to, to try and improve what you've got. Um, so, you know, because someone said to me at the weekend, well, who's the backup? You know, if Werner doesn't happen, who do we go to? And it's like, well, the, the reality is if Werner doesn't happen this summer, it's because they think that committing those funds, whether it's 40 or 50 million pounds is, is just too reckless in the current climate. So it's not like they're going to, they're going to suddenly sanction, you know, a, a decent chunk of cash for someone of a lesser, lesser ability. Um, so, you know, I think, I think you know, Klopp, Klopp as well is desperate not to block the pathway for the talented young players he's got the got at the club. You you think of someone like Harvey Elliott, um, only recently turned 17. I know we haven't seen a huge amount of him in a Liverpool shirt yet, but you know, he Klopp has got massive hopes for him going forward. Um so you know it's it's not like he's gonna want to stockpile attackers or bring someone in just for the sake of it, because I think he would rather give opportunities to young players if he can't get exactly who he wants. I think you know, you only have to look back to the way that they handle things with with Virgil Van Dijk in terms of you know. The, I remember the absolute clamour 
in, in the wake of that apology to Southampton and, you know, what is the plan B? Where is the plan? You know, he must have a plan B. You know, he's, you can't not sign a centre-back. And, we'll, well, he, you know, he, and Klopp, Klopp, I think, said, you know, I think he actually infuriated a few people when he said, well, name me, try and name me five better centre-backs than what we've got already. Yeah. And um, and was prepared to sit tight and wait to get his man. And it, it wouldn't surprise me if, if the same thing happens with... With Timo Werner, because you know, as well as Harvey Elliott, you've got you know Rian Brewster. You know, we don't really know at the moment exactly what the that what the the coming months holds for him. He had been doing really well out on loan at Swansea. Um, you know, will he come back and have a part to play next season? Harry Wilson um, is another one who's you know had had some really good form this season for for Bournemouth in the Premier League. And again, you know, if you'd asked me two three months ago, I'd have said there's a high chance that Harry Wilson would get sold, and and Liverpool would have expected. You know, a fair few clubs battling it out for his signature, probably 15, 20 million plus. But again, I think the knock-on effect of the coronavirus pandemic is, are Liverpool really going to get those kind of offers for, for those players like Wilson and, and Marco Gruich and Shakiri and people like that? And if you're not going to get the offers that you, you think they're really worth, then you know the, the most sensible way forward is to keep hold of them and, and, and possibly integrate them into the squad for next season. So a quick answer on this. Will it happen this summer? James, you seem to indicate that you think a longer-term deal might override this and he might arrive at a later point next year. Is that right? Well, I don't want to get splintered, Steve, but I would literally say it is 50-50 right. at the moment. OK, Simon? I think um, if there's clarity on exactly when next season starts, I'd be surprised if Liverpool didn't go and get the deal done. Um, but it's just when it's just when you know, like you know, we've got to get this season finished first and have clarity exactly when next season is going to start. And equally, you know, whether there's there's how next season is going to look as well. I just think it's very difficult to make any projections until until we know what the future looks like. Shevchenko scored the winner two years ago. He's up against Duda. Will he hand Liverpool the European Cup? Yeah! Champions, Jersey Dudek with the penalty save. Right, this is the uh, the red agenda on the Athletic, and um, it's just got some fabulous articles on there at the moment. Four hundred of the best sports writers writing for you on the Athletic, and they're on there uh, telling unique, engaging stories. And you can get the Athletic now with a ninety-day free trial, so you can go and see for yourself. Just head to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool Pod for a 90-day free trial. And you get the best writing from the likes of James Pearson, Simon Hughes. And that segs us very nicely into a top article that James has written about Momo Sissoko. So um, I think we mentioned in a previous podcast about cult heroes. And he's right <laughs> up there, isn't he, in the, in, in the cult hero bracket for Liverpool? Yeah, he, he he really is. I think um, you know. I don't. When you speak to Liverpool fans, I don't think anyone would have a, a bad word to say about Momo Sissoko. He was, he was just the kind of player that I think, as a, a supporter, you immediately take to your heart because um, you know he's he, he was he was so committed and and so passionate and the way that he you know repeatedly put his body on the line and um you know he was very raw i was looking back at his his stats and you know i think he picked up something like 20 yellows and one red during his two full seasons at, at the club um you know and i think you know there there was certainly some kind of rough edges there that that Rafa Benitez tried to to iron out but he was yeah he was a 
he was a big hit. And I think, you know, the really sad thing, and I think that came across from, from speaking to him, was just the lasting impact of that horrendous injury he suffered, um, you know, against Benfica in, in the Champions League tie in February 2006, because, you know, he, he'd had a fantastic first season at the club, really forced his way into the team. Um, and then it was a, you know, a freak thing. Beto, the Brazilian midfielder's reckless high boot, struck uh, struck Suzoko in his right yeah. eye and um you know in, and that you know that triggered a, a horrendous few weeks with with him where where you know initially the doctor in Portugal saying you know I think you can forget football you won't come back from this we don't you know there's a there's a good chance you may never be able to see again in your right eye um and you know to his immense credit he, he was only out for a month which is incredible really when they were talking about him maybe never playing again but you know, despite despite going on and playing in the FA Cup final and helping Liverpool beat West Ham at the Millennium Stadium, and despite the role that he played en route to the Champions League final in 2007, I think certainly having that conversation with him last week, you could tell there's a, there's a fair bit of sadness because he, he mm. felt that psychologically um, he never truly got over that horrendous injury. I think you'd struggle to be at peace with the idea of arriving at Liverpool Football Club. They've just won the Champions League in 2005. You want to be part of this team with, with Steven Gerrard and this, this this growing squad of players. And then you suffer that sort of injury, Simon. Um, and and he seemed to have an awful lot of bad luck throughout his time at Liverpool. Yeah, well, that, that first season, it really surprised me just how, how quickly he settled, really. Um, it, it was a bit of a... Sort of a surprise signing in many ways because I remember, obviously, he, he played for Rafa Benitez at, at Valencia, but before coming to Liverpool, and there was the famous, um, famous quote from Rafa about you know that what he'd asked for from the Valencia, uh, I think it was the chief executive or the sporting director at the time, and um, you know I think something along the lines of you know asking for a, a lamp and getting a lampshade or something like that. I can't remember exactly how Rafa put it, but it, it was. Um, he was clearly not a player that Rafa actually wanted at Valencia, really. But then he'd obviously gone there and done, done, uh, done very well, um, and, and and won him over with his with the athleticism. And he sort of uh, he had he gave Liverpool something that they, I don't think they really had uh, in in midfield at that time, because obviously clearly you, you would say that Steven Gerrard was an athletic midfielder, but I think Rafa Benitez wanted to harness his more creative abilities and that there wasn't really anybody in that midfield who was able to get up and about the pitch, make tackles. And he, he, he really did that. And I remember, you know, the, the, the crowd really took to him straight away, but it, it was pretty much his, his, his career at Liverpool. So the, the high points was that one season. And then obviously the seconds, I think the, you know, the, 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 the um, after getting the, the eye injury, he was never quite the same after that. It seemed to lose a lot of confidence. I could pick, you could pick up on that in his performances. And when he obviously spoke to James last week, he, he sort of admitted that. So it's it's quite quite a, a bit of a sad story, really, because I know he went to Juventus and obviously earned a, a big money move there, but um, you know didn't quite fit in there and, and then bounced around quite a lot of clubs. And you know, sort of the, the high point in his career, you would say, was that 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 first season at Liverpool. I think, and he, you know, when you actually look back at his career and see what he achieved and. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I really liked him as a player and sort of suited the Premier League. But I think at that time, the Liverpool midfield was, was changing quite quickly and, and Rafa was was keen to really develop that area of the team. You know, obviously they signed Javier Mascarano as well uh, pretty soon um, in, into, was it, was it into 2007, I think. So, yeah, I think it, it, it's quite, um, when, you, when you look back at his career, I think 
it's it's a shame really that it sort of it only lasted at Anfield for for a relatively short period of time, and yet taken into the fans' hearts. Hearts not not least perhaps for the two thousand and six FA Cup final. I know everyone remembers it for Stephen Gerrard, but I think Momo Sissoko would have had every right to say that he was one of the standout players, James, in in that game. Yeah, he was. He was, and, and you know, and again, you know, we'll talk about the highs and lows of football with you know being part of one of the most iconic FA Cup finals. What probably three months after he'd been stretched off in in Lisbon that night. So, um, so yeah, he was. He, you know, he he did make a real impact at Liverpool, and you know, I loved, I loved hearing him say about you know he he said you know people talk about you know the money you can earn in football and the fame and all the rest of it, but he said you know what means. More than anything to him is 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 the the fact that he is so fondly remembered by Liverpool fans. And you know, I asked him about a clip when he was he was working for RMC Sport French TV channel earlier on this season, and there was a a special feature with their roving reporter outside Anfield. I think it was before the game against Arsenal, asking fans for their memories of Suzoko. And he was he was reduced to tears in the studio because you know he was he was so blown away by the the, the nice comments that. That were that that followed. So um, yeah, I think you know what was his one of his quotes. You know, when people remember you and and re- really appreciate what you gave for their club, that means that means more than anything else. And um, I, I also love his mindset as well because it would be easy, you know, when when you look back and he only retired back in January after, you know, he, he had a very kind of nomadic last six years after after leaving PSG. I mean, he played all over the place, you know, Levante in Spain and in China and India and Mexico and Hong Kong, and then f- finished up in the French second division. It would, you know, you'd, you'd be understandable if there was a hint of, of bitterness and anger at the fact that, you know what, you know, that nagging sense of what might have been and, and how he, he wasn't able to quite fulfill his full potential because of the, you know, the, the injuries that he, that he suffered. But, you know, none of that, you know, I think, Probably my favourite line in the, the whole piece was him saying, "You know, what makes him happier than anything when he looks back is the fact he could keep a promise to his mum um, hmm. when he was young and growing up as as one of fifteen kids in um, in, in the on the outskirts of Paris." And he, you know, he said to her, "You know, mum, if I get to a high level, I'm I'm going to buy you a house." And he said, "You know, when he got that first contract at Valencia." He was uh, he was able to deliver on that, and um, yeah, he said uh, making her happy was uh, he looked looked upon as his biggest achievement. Yeah, uh, she nearly had a full team there, didn't she? Uh, Fifteen kids. <laughs> uh, he, he's actually a dad of seven as well, Simon. I tell you what, Momo, Momo likes family life, uh, but uh, obviously a, Steve Allen there, Steve. <laughs> a great character um, and fondly remembered. So from here, we'll, we'll go to Alberto Aquilani. So if we talk about Momo being someone who's very much a cult hero and in your heart, um, where did it, where did it all perhaps go wrong for Alberto Aquilani? And again, a good piece written by James on the site about him. Um, he came with a massive billing, Simon, didn't he? You know, I think back to that period and there was a lot wrong, you know, with Liverpool. And I think it does need a bit of context. Obviously, that's summer of 2009. Liverpool come off the back of a... A fantastic season where they they'd been in a title race anyway, and uh, obviously Xabi Alonso went to to Real Madrid, and Liverpool were looking to try and replace him, which was always going to be impossible in some ways. I think they had to find a slightly different way of um, of playing. Aquilani sort of came with a reputation of being a a, a a more slightly more attacking player, but somebody with a great passing range. Which you know, I think in his career you'd, you'd argue he, he did prove that. I think it was. He'd struggled, you know, with with his with his fitness at various other clubs, but he clearly there was a player there. But 
um, unfortunately arrived at Liverpool, as James mentions in his piece, you know, injured. So, you know, they're, they're trying to get a player fit for a league that he's never played in. And then expectation is that he's going to go and play like Chabi Alonso, but only in a, in a slightly more dynamic way. So the, he came with huge expectations at a time when Liverpool... You know, were financially struggling. It was it was just about to be you know to unravel in this season. You know, the, let's not forget that some of the also signed Sotirios Kyriakos, you know, a player who really you know should not be playing for Liverpool at any point. Even being totally honest, he was you know tried his hardest, and um, um you know you couldn't fault him for effort, but he just he wasn't a Liverpool quality player, and so he's going into a very difficult sort of situation really. But generally, you know, quite a disappointing sign, and because. Um, you just need to look at the statistics to see that he didn't make much of an impact in terms of game time. And then, you know, the team in that season struggled desperately. Um, you know, there's a big there's a big fall off from the season before. So, yeah, uh, not not regarded as as one of the great signings. No. Um, but you know, in, in another world, in an alternative world where he was fit going into a decent team, who knows? It could have been a bit different. Well, in in an alternative world, David Silva would have been your signing, wouldn't he, James? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was certainly the one that um, you know quite early on in that process when when they knew that that Alonso was had his heart absolutely set on on moving on. David Silva from um, certainly the, the staff around Benitez that I, I spoke to for the piece said that he was at the top of the list, and then uh, Jovetic was another one um, who of course ended up you know, performing really well against Liverpool for Fiorentina in that in that following season, but. In both those cases, with Jovetic and Silva, um, Benitez was told that um, you know, no, those 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 are out of our price bracket, um, and you know, it was a it was a tricky one to put together because you just knew full well that it's just a, a saga and a you know something that no one looks back on with any particular satisfaction that that polarizes opinion. I think you only have to look at the comment section of the article to appreciate that in terms of those who. Who say that you know it was it was disastrous and you know it was you know what on earth was Benitez doing buying a player that was that was injured and didn't even kick a ball for Liverpool for I think it was the best part of three months after he after he arrived but then you know then you you try and you try and balance it up with the other side of it as Simon said the context of what an absolute mess Liverpool Football Club was in at that time and um, you know the fact that that 30 million from Alonso wasn't it wasn't all there to be reinvested in the squad. Some of it was required to pay down the interest on the on the on the debts that were mounting, and um, you know it was a it was a pretty horrendous time for for anyone to be coming to Liverpool and and trying to settle with so much uncertainty. And yeah, I think you know, Aquilani. The reality is he was never good enough for Liverpool, and I think you know it was you only had to look at the fact that. You know, it was only when I went back over it that I kind of fully appreciated. He ended up having a pre-season after after uh, Rafa had gone. He had a pre-season under Hodgson. He had a pre-season under Kenny, and he had a pre-season you know, most of a pre-season under Brendan Rodgers. And on each occasion, you know, those managers had a look at him and went, "Nah, you're not, you're not for me." Yeah, and and I think part of that was was not just, uh, you know, I don't think that was always a slight on Aquilani's ability. I think also part of that decision was the fact he was on such big money I think you know for Hodgson and for for Doglish and for and for Rogers they looked at that and thought well someone on this kind of money needs to be a first team regular and they didn't think that he was going to do that so um 
Yeah, I, mm. it was it was it was a just a bizarre bizarre tale all round because you know, it's hard to believe now that that Liverpool would um, you know replace someone who had been so important to the team in that 2008-9 season um, and, and make you know such an absolute hash of trying to fill the void. Yeah, it was on a hiding to nothing, really. Great in Italy, just couldn't live up to the uh, the hype. There's a full article on that on the site now, theathletic.co.uk. Um, let's skip to the Red Agenda inbox and get some questions that people are asking at the moment. One of the, the recurring topics, Simon, is Pedro Chirivella, who's been at the football mm. club for a lengthy period of of time now and uh, is a lovely guy. I remember doing a programme on LFC TV with him maybe four or five years ago. Always hard working at the academy, um, very highly thought of and of course played a significant role in a, in a couple of games last season. But his contract's coming to an ending point. He's been offered a new one and the conversation at the moment is that perhaps he's looking to move elsewhere. Yeah, um, I mean, he's he's had a very interesting season, really, because every time he's played in the cup matches, he's probably, probably been one of Liverpool's top two or three performers. Has looked very assured. Looks very, you know, like he's come on in terms of his maturity. You know, didn't, didn't you know against Everton and um, even Aston Villa when Liverpool got got hammered at Villa Park in the League Cup. Played very very well and didn't look out of place. Really, he looked very confident, but. You know, the reality is Liverpool tried to sell him, I think, last summer. They accepted a bid from Rosenborg uh, in Germany, uh, sorry, in uh, Norway. Um, and, uh, you know, he, they were happy for him to go. At that point, I think the offer from Rosenborg was was a particularly decent one from a Liverpool point of view. I think it was an advance of one and a half million pounds. So Liverpool have offered him a new contract, which is quite a long-term deal. But um, I think that... Um, you know whether that is just because Liverpool see the value in the player and, and think that they could actually sell him rather than lose him for nothing. Um, I think it's going to take a very persuasive argument from Jurgen Klopp to say to him, "Look, well, you know, at this age, if you at this time in, in your career, you know, you, you need to be playing games, but you're going to be playing games occasionally for Liverpool." I, I don't know whether that, mm. that's strictly the case. I know there's been interest from Nantes, which would be, you know, quite a good move into into the French league, you know, at, at a high level. Um, yeah, I mean, it's. I, th- I think he, he seems to me to be the sort of player who, sort of maybe came to Liverpool. Well, in, in a different era, he may have been a good player for Liverpool. So, say under Rafa Benitez, when you know they had that sort of deep sitting midfielder who, who could pass the ball, he may he may have suited the, the the sort of the style of the team. Whereas in this Liverpool team in the midfield, he really do have to be able to get about the pitch, and I think he can do that. But whether. Uh, whether it's to the standard of the other players around him, I'm not quite sure. I mean, it, James sort of touched on it before that you've got to be an outstanding player to play for Liverpool at the moment. And, you know, he's a, he's clearly a talented player, but is he quite at that level to play regularly? I'm, I'm not too sure. I mean, I, I actually sort of saw him, I remember, in, in Madrid uh, nearly 12 months ago. You know, he was just at the final with his mates, really, having a, having hmm. a few drinks in one of the squares in Madrid and seemed a long way from Liverpool's first team at that point, which... You know, but clearly Liverpool see the value. I mean, he's a very t- talented player, but at this age, he needs to be playing games. He can't be affording to wait to, to get his chance because otherwise, you know, your career slips away from you very quickly. Yeah, uh, Scouser Les says, uh, should he stay or should he go? And uh, I suppose the question is, how much football do you want to play, James? Because if, you, if you're that sort of age, yeah, you might be on a, a nice little pay packet to stay at Liverpool. It might be a comfortable surroundings, but you, you might barely touch that first team. It's a critical stage in his career, I presume. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure that's been going through his his mind a lot in in recent months. You know, Liverpool have 
you know made him that that long term contract offer to to try and keep him on board because he you know he has massively impressed Klopp um, both you know not only with his performances you know especially in the in the cup games but um, just with the way that he's conducted himself and his his attitude and his professionalism around around Melwood so you know at a time of you know massive uncertainty and all the rest of it in football it was you know I, I'm not surprised Liverpool have have tried to to get him to sign a new contract but. I think you look upon it from Chiravella's viewpoint and, you know, yes, what has he probably made half a dozen, you know, appearances for Liverpool this season, but, you know, the circumstances, you know, you know, around the FA Cup and the winter break and all the rest of it and the way Klopp treated those games after such an intensive period, you know, he's still, you know, despite performing well in those games, the reality is he is a long way short of, of playing for Liverpool in the Premier League and, you know, and and I think it, you know he's not a kid anymore, is he? He's coming up to twenty three years of age. So, I I would imagine that he would move on because I think probably two reasons. I think one, um, he will want first team football, and I think he'll look upon it and and know that you know with Fabinho, with Henderson, you know it's it's highly unlikely he's going to be playing in the Premier League for Liverpool next season. And also, I think financially, you know when you when you get to this point and you're going to become a free agent, you know, he will have some very lucrative offers being waved under his nose with, with big signing on fees. So, um, you know, he's, he's obviously got a lot to think about at the moment, Pedro Chirivella, but I would imagine that he probably will will move on at the end of the season. Right, lots of questions about um, Liverpool's new kit sponsor and when perhaps uh, images will be released for the night kits, so Sushi, Dave, uh, Tony, all asking this. Uh, Simon, do we know anything on the, on the kits front, or is that very much on the back burner, whilst um, more important things are dealt with at the moment? Well, the, the only thing I do know for certain is Liverpool are going to finish this season in the, in the New Balance kit. Um, I mean, it would make very little sense to... Um, I mean, it's a, just contradicting myself, actually. I was just thinking about it out loud. You know, the, the, the obviously... You know that there will be kit sales available online. I guess you know there is that 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 possibility. I'd be interested to see how much much Liverpool make out of kit sales from online compared to you know high streets. While the high street is closed, I think Liverpool can't afford to 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 really take that risk of releasing a kit because I I, do, I get the impression. I mean, I, I've spoken to one or two people about this over the last uh, over the last couple of well couple of months really, and. Um, yeah, I think Liverpool will want to release that kit when next season is is is, is up on us. You know, I, I, I'd be surprised if you were to release the kit at, at any point in the in the sort of the next few weeks or month, because uh, clearly, you know, that that's going to lead to a decline in sales. James, there's nothing else you know on that on that night kit. You've not had a sneak preview, or anything of it. <laughs> I've seen I've seen various uh, fan attempts at mocking up different night kits online. I think. Um, no, as, as we've written on the Athletic, that you know Liverpool are, are fully expecting to to play out their remaining games this season in in New Balance kit. I think um, you know legally the, the the switch over was supposed to be on on June the first, but um, clearly it makes no sense for for that to that to immediately happen with with this season being being delayed and it won't even have, have restarted by that point. So, um, so no, I think what has happened isn't, you know, Nike's launch and campaign is, is, is simply just been put on ice because, um, you know, they, they were all geared up to take over from the start of 2020, 21, you know, that is still the case, but obviously it's, um, it's, it's not going to be the kind of the, the long summer ahead of Liverpool wearing Nike in the August that, that they would have initially expected. So, um, yeah, I think, Certainly, I know from the people I spoke to at Nike that you know they've had a 
their, their kind of priorities in recent months have been, of course, the, the major, major headache for them with, with, with um, manufacturing so many international kits was the, the rescheduling of, of the Euros. So um, I think um, they were they were massively concerned about just having to wait a little bit longer to take over as, uh, as, as Liverpool's kit, kit guys. Right, let's give a massive shout out to a piece that Simon's done about football management and where the merry-go-round uh, stops. You've, cut, you've caught up with um, a couple of managers who are at, out of work at the moment, but if, once you've spoken to them, you you would think to yourself, these are guys who are football through and through and perhaps should still be in a managerial job. So who are they and, and what struck you the most about them, Simon? Yeah, I spoke to starting off with Ronnie Moore, who obviously I know you know him well, Steve, and he's been out of management for a number of years now. He's actually approaching his fourth summer um, out of the game, and 67 now. You know, Ronnie Moore used to manage Tranmere and Rotherham, um, the the two clubs he spent most of his time at. I think he's had two or three spells at each club as a player and a manager. He's bounced between them. And um, his last job in 2016 was with Eastleigh, who um, were then owned by the the Sunderland's, uh, the Sunderland's owner, Stuart Donald, who has obviously become quite famous because of his role in the, in the Netflix series. And um, it's quite interesting listening to to, uh, to Ronnie about his recollections from working with Stuart Donald because um, a lot of the, the things that we saw at Sunderland sort of happened at Eastleigh and uh, where, where, you know, the, 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 the owner was wanting to sign certain players and imposing his will on it, on managers. And I remember there was the scene at Sunderland um, where where uh, the manager was telling him not to sign Will Grigg for any more than £1.2 million. And later that day, he sanctioned the deal for £4 million. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was happening at Eastleigh a couple of years ago as well. And Ronnie, being the man he is, couldn't really stomach uh, that and ended up walking away. And since then, he's been trying to apply for jobs, but been finding it very hard to, to get back in. But um, So I, I, I interviewed him. I interviewed Phil Brown, who a lot of people will remember from his spell in charge of Hull, where he obviously got Hull promoted and kept them in the Premier League. And didn't mind public displays of affection and condemnation uh, <laughs> singing in front of the whole crowd and, and keeping his players out on the pitch at half time to give them a good telling off being two uh, examples of that but he's he's been bouncing around quite a few clubs in the last 10 years uh, managing at all levels in the in the English um, in the English professional leagues and he's recently been out in India um, keen to go back possibly to India at some point in the next six months. So, And then the last the last person I spoke to was Stephen Constantine, who's slightly different sort of managerial, managerial careers, uh, been in charge of a lot of uh, international teams, and he's, he's binding his time as well. He was most recently in charge of India. He's been in quite a few African countries and various other Asian countries. So it was quite interesting just to see, like, sort of the, the processes behind actually getting a job. And, and how how that happens really um, or doesn't happen but the one thing that I'd say that sort of links the three of them is um, really the, the, the sort of the willingness to to be patient but but, but mainly that the actual mm. passion for the game I mean Ronnie Moore hasn't been a manager for, for, for obviously several seasons but desperate to get back in absolutely loves football you know I think more keen than ever to, to get another chance but obviously in the midst of a pandemic it, it could be quite challenging to do that and he's obviously got a lot of concerns about how clubs will strip back you know various responsibilities that he's had a few informal jobs in the last few years you know as a, as a match analyzer for 
for a couple of non-league teams. So, yeah, it's um, I quite enjoy putting it together to be honest because it's it's very rare that you sort of get managers to speak about the sort of their anxieties around the futures. Um, and the, the, these guys were, were very willing and open to to go into areas which maybe some other managers, when they're active in the game maybe aren't. Yeah, and, and I think it's hard when you fall off the managerial merry-go-round to actually get back on it because there's an, another group of names there. And if you, if you know Ronnie Moore, for example, um, he is football through and through and there's definitely a lot more life and there's a, there's a lot more in him that would help a football club out there. But he must just feel that, that there's just no opportunity in which he can literally just uh, get his foot in the door. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he... he um, I think he's still... He still is worried about what happens in 2014 when he, he last left Tranmere and he he got sacked off the back of um, a match betting. I don't want to call it well. It, it is every every match betting um, incident is described as a scandal, mm. isn't it? But he he did actually sort of bring this up and 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 sort of tried to clarify exactly what happened. I mean, he he at the time Tranmere uh, just above the relegation zone and not doing particularly well. It became apparent towards the end of that season, the season before, he'd placed a bet with some family members on um, a Wigan uh, Wigan to, to lose to Manchester City in the FA Cup final, which Wigan infamously won. And because Tranmere in that season had been in the... Um, had been in the FA Cup. He was found to, to be um, flouting betting rules. And I think that sort of mud has stuck with him since since that point. You know, I think it was... He was sacked by Tranmere because, you know, they, they sort of perhaps or as an opportunity to get rid of him a very popular manager who was who wasn't doing particularly well at the time um and you know i think people in football just assume that he'd he'd, he'd you know been betting on tramier matches which which was never the case you know he'd, he'd been in a in a, a sort of a syndicate with his family members for a number of years and it was just at the time when betting rules was changing never betted on tramier just betted you know small amounts of money on on other clubs which um which which wouldn't affect tramier so He's, he's, he's found it hard getting through the door, I think, because of that. I mean, he hopes that he's never had any answers around that. You know, obviously, a club's not going to come and say, well, no, Ronnie, we're not going to interview you because of something that happened six years ago. Um, but he, he does regret the way that sort of all panned out. And I do have, you know, I know it's easy to, to condemn people for, for, for situations like this, but I do have, when you actually listen to him, I do have some sympathy for him. So... Um, yeah, it'd be a shame for somebody of his experience for his uh, to, to be lost to the game. I think because I think he's clearly got a lot to offer. Still, you know, he, he, as he said, you know, in, in the interview, he sort of knows where the warning signs are. Um, and he was looking at like sort of Newport, what happened there, where, where Mike Flynn is the manager, but Lenny Lawrence, who's seventy-two, sort of sits in the dugout with him is just a, a chaperone in many ways, just giving him guidance, and he, he feels he can do that role. Um, but again, you know that's going to ask. That's going to mean that the club will need to expand their budgets, and with um, with the pandemic still raging, um, I don't know whether clubs are going to have the, that sort of money to, to 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 do that sort of to to execute that sort of system. Yeah, nothing on the horizon. But very super interesting piece there on on managers trying to get back into the game. Right, we're going to finish the red agenda this week with a little feature which we've nicked off uh, LFC TV because it was. Uh, quite amusing anyway. So I watched them doing their, their lockdown roommates on LFC TV. Jan Molby choosing uh, three people he'd want to be in lockdown with. So Liverpool players can be present day or from the past. So let's get um, three from the lads each. Who would they want to be in lockdown with? James, start us off. <laughs> um, I think just just for the uh, 
the how much fun it would be in the evenings. I think I think I'd have to go Fowler and McManaman. I think um, I'd have to, I'd have to have a heavy a heavy Spice Boy presence. I think. <laughs> Go on, give some context to this. What's going to happen in the evening with these boys? <laughs> well, well, we just you know you could just have a couple of drinks, can you, and reminisce about the old days? Oh right, I think Simon's going to take a far more um, <laughs> high level tack on this. Come on, Simon. <laughs> well, I actually have thoughts about this, um, and my 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 choice will be Yam Molby. Yes, and 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 Jim Beglin. I think they'd be Ooh. pretty good. Um, Jim Beglin's what has to be one of the nicest men in football. Mm. He's yeah. actually really, really funny guy as well. You know, doesn't take anything that seriously. Um, you know, he's we've he, been on a couple of European trips where he, he's travelled with various members of the press team, and he, he's just a really decent fella who's got a lot, quite a lot to say. You know, sort of in, interesting impressions on the world and. Just a, a dead nice guy. So I'd say Jim Beglin would be pretty sound. I think he could... I, I think James would bit burn himself out with Fowler McMahon. I mean, he couldn't keep up with him after... You know, I've seen what James <laughs> is like on these these nights out and he tends to fall asleep quite quick. Um, I think he's got to he's got to he's got to be a bit more realistic about his lockdown uh, lockdown too. So yeah, Mian Malby the other one. Um, just because I like for the same reasons as, as Jim. Actually, I, I, I do like Jan. He's got a very wry sense of humour and. Um, yeah, he, he, I think he, you know, obviously like like likes likes a drink and likes his food as well. So what else are you going to do in lockdown? Absolutely, and and I'll throw. In, I'd go with Molby as well because he's a calming influence and he's got a lot to say in the great stories. But I'd also add a bit of insanity in Aldo. Because let's face it, oh, yeah. you know, there'd be a bit of craziness going on, wouldn't there, with John Aldridge in your in your lockdown house? <laughs> James knows that all too well. I wouldn't have. I, I wouldn't have Soto Kiriakos. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was trying to I was trying to think back to 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 people that have been quite hostile that I've spoken to over the years, and he. Um, I remember the first time I ever spoke to Kyriakos through an interpreter. He, he wanted to say something before the first question, and it got translated as he just wants you to know he doesn't like journalists. <laughs> or maybe just you, James. <laughs> maybe just. Well, it's just been me. Uh, Simon, James, thank you very much, guys. Cheers, Steve. Cheers, Steve. There we go. That was the red agenda for um, another week. That's a great little thing to play with your mates, actually. You're locked down. Uh, Liverpool picks. Who would you want in your house with you? Some good suggestions from the guys there. Look, the Athletic uh, and the red agenda will be back uh, next week. We'll reflect on any big Liverpool stories that break throughout the course of this week. Uh, and of course uh, Simon and James working on some excellent pieces at the moment as well you want to log on and get yourself a a 90 day free trial you can do just that just use the code uh, LiverpoolPod Uh, but The Athletic absolutely fabulous at the moment thanks for listening to The Red Agenda back in a week 